Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Bonus time on the Ben Jarowski Show as I speak. It's Wednesday, April 5th, 2023, the day after. Yes, the day after Chicago's mayoral election. <laughs> the day after uh, Brandon Johnson was elected uh, mayor of the city of Chicago, about three or four Oh, progressive, lefty, liberal, whatever you want to call them, uh, aldermanic man candidates were also victorious. Uh, could be uh, a change in the city of Chicago, could be a big change uh, in the city of Chicago. As I always do, I like to uh, just give you a sense of what's in the news. Well, that's obviously in the news. But take a little deeper dive on this one. And this has to do great column in the Sun-Times by Natalie Moore. Uh, after a tight race, black political establishment may face reckoning. Uh, and she runs through the names of uh, the various uh, black elected officials who had endorsed Paul Vallis. And that's a, a long list. Former Congressman Bobby Rush, former Illinois State Senator President Evil Jones, uh, and then older persons, Emma Mitz, Walter Burnett, Michelle Harris, Derek Curtis, Roderick Sawyer, Anthony Beale, and David Moore. It's a long list. Uh, and Jamal Green uh, was not on the list. Of course, he's not an elected official, uh, but he also not only supported Vallis so much, he made it, he was appeared on stage with Vallis uh, when Vallis made his concession speech last night. And it's an interesting thought. I'm just going to take a moment here and reflect. Uh, I, I, this is the one of the only good things about getting old uh, is that you've lived through so much and you've experienced so much and you've seen so much. And so I remember 1983. When Harold Washington first ran in the 1983 election, there was a two-round election. So there was the first round. In those days, we had a Democratic primary, and the winner of the Democratic primary faced off against the winner of the Republican Party. We don't have that system anymore. They got rid of it because they just wanted to make sure we never elect another man like Harold Washington again. Anyway, uh, so when uh, in that first election, when Harold was running for the Democratic nomination, he was up against Mayor Jane Byrne and State's Attorney Richie Daley. There were quite a few black aldermen who did not support Harold Washington. Just so folks know that. Quite a few cut their deals with uh, Jane Byrne, Richie Daly. And I remember them telling me, I was a very young reporter back then, they would be telling me stuff like, hey, I, I make my own deals. I'm not going to support him because he's black. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Blah, 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 blah. So, uh, all the Chicago talk. I got to cut a deal. I'm going to get this. I'm going to get that. <laughs> Harold won the election with over 80% of the black vote. You have never seen people run. <laughs> Wait, what about the deals you cut? They were running to support Harold Washington. Oh, I love Harold Washington. Did, but what, what you don't know, Ben, is all the work I was doing for Harold behind the scenes. All of a sudden, they were all working behind the scenes. And then there were a few of them holdouts. I got to give these guys credit. They hated Harold Washington because they were rivals. They were like the old machine guys in the ward, and they were rivals of Harold Washington. I, I, I'm thinking, you know what? I got to give you credit, guys. You're not going to let this moment, this historical moment, change you. You're going to continue that hatred and that rivalry. 
up until the end is what they did. Oh, God, they get together, start moaning and complaining about how Washington. So I wouldn't be surprised, this is a prediction, if suddenly we hear, uh, uh, have a second, yesterday's showing where 80% of black voters in the city, 80% folks, just think about that, went for Brandon Johnson. That's a big number. I wouldn't be surprised if you have what? Like a reawakening? Is that what you would call it? Rethinking a political perspective by some of these black elected officials who say, upon further review, you know, like in football, upon further review, it's a first down. All right, without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce herself. And then we're going to take it away. But wait for this conversation for several days now with great, great interest. Distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Mr. Ben, it feels so good to be back. It's been, what, two years since I've been on the show? And you've been begging me to come back. And I, it, it was the perfect timing. The Everything fell off, fell aligned with what needed to happen. So, um, yeah, I'm DeFron Smart. Uh, Mr. Ben calls me one of the greatest high school Chicago basketball players ever. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just a person in Chicago who is doing the work of supporting as many people as possible. I'm trying to make significant change in the city um, and just loving really hard. I do a lot of other things. I'm a data scientist for during the day, um, but I'm a I'm a true basketball head at heart. And I think that's why Mr. Ben brought me on the show today. Yes, uh, we're going to talk about the, the state of women's basketball. I may throw a Bulls question at her. My heart was broken. You know, it was a good thing we had an election last night. The Bulls just totally choked again. Again. Uh, again. To France, every time I get excited about the Bulls, they just lay an egg. Uh, and they did last night against Atlanta. And, and Trey Young didn't even play. I was still five. While I, I had one eye on the Bulls game and two eyes, like me, I have three eyes on the election returns. Uh, but I was following it. Uh, but no, DeFrance Smart, ladies and gentlemen, if you know anything about Chicago basketball, she, I don't think she likes it when I say I really don't care. I, I've watched. She knows I'm a total basketball junkie. D. Rose, Patrick Beverly, Sharon Collins, DeFrance Smart, in my opinion. That's where the discussion begins on the greatest point guard of the 21st century coming out of the city of Chicago. Uh, and that's how I will always see it. I saw her career at Whitney Young. I know the heart she has. And it was just a joy watching you to France. Uh, and uh, so it's a great pleasure uh, to talk with you now that you're all grown up and an adult, and <laughs> grown up conversations. And so um, this is burning in my brain right now. And uh, I've been talking obsessively about it with people. A lot of people don't even follow basketball and they're kind of tired of me talking about it. But the showdown, if you will, the trash talking showdown uh, that took place uh, over the weekend in the women's final four NCAA uh, women's basketball, LSU prevailed in the championship game over the University of Iowa. Uh, Angel Reese, the star for LSU. Caitlin Clark, the star uh, from uh, Iowa. Uh, and uh, what happened was, uh, well, I would love to hear your rendition <laughs> of what happened. I'd be really curious to get your rendition of what happened uh, when uh, Angel Reese um did a little trash talking to Caitlin Clark at the end of the game and how it just seemed like a lot of people lost their freaking minds over that. So take it away and explain from your perspective what went down. Go ahead. I think it was just uh, it started in the South Carolina game. So if if you're sitting in the final four, you just won your game. Typically, you're going to sit around and watch and figure out who, who's your next opponent going to be. Um and based upon how Iowa guarded South Carolina, you felt disrespected. I think what people might have missed is the wave off that Caitlin Clark had in the South Carolina game to South Carolina's point guard, daring her to shoot. Like almost, you're, you're nothing. I don't even have to guard you. Um, and in that moment, as a player that's sitting in the stands, you're like, oh, that's not going to happen to me. Like that, that has to happen in your mind. And if not, you're not a competitor. You're not really a, a hooper. If in your mind you think they're not going to guard me that way, regardless if you're shooting 25% from the three, right? If you're Patrick Beverly, like you can't really shoot. We're going to, we're going to keep, I'm going to bring the bulls in. You can't really shoot, but, but it's just, a, it's a pride thing. It's a pride thing. So I think that started on Friday of that feeling of Caitlin's Clark's kind of, attitude, um, bravado on the court, 
and that trash talking. And so when Sunday came and the game was won at that point, it was an acknowledgement of, hey, all that stuff that you were talking on Friday, where is it today? And I'm going to give it right back to you. And that's just what to expect from basketball players, from any sport competitors. Uh, even if you see some people, even in today's world, playing like intramural sports, like if you don't have that type of competitiveness happening within games, then what really is it? It's just kind of like, I don't know, just fun. But but when it gets triggered into competitiveness, that's when everyone really loves to see what what's happening. So I loved it. I, I, I truly, truly, truly loved everything about that game. Um, from both ends, from from both guards, from all the players on LSU and Iowa, um, I think women are not all not always afforded the opportunity to uh, to play with that emo- that that much emotion, um, to play with that much trash talking. Uh, we're often asked to kind of like calm down, um, play with a little bit more respect of the game, um, and we've been seeing on the men's side that it's it's been a lot of scuffles in the NBA. This past, like, I would say two or three years, we look at what what has happened between Memphis and the Warriors, um, Draymond especially, and across even Atlanta, some of the teams that have come across. Like, we've been seeing a lot of trash talking. And I think another thing that has happened is the trash talking doesn't stop on the court. We have social media. So that's where it gets, it just gets to brew. It gets to brew. Then the fans get to come in and they have their uh, their dialogue about what's happening. Then the fans also bring in a little bit more heat. Like, oh, you're going to let them talk about you in that way. Um, so I, I think for the women's game, kind of coming back to a question we had before we got on the show, the amplification of social media, the amplification of um, media in general around women's basketball has just increased so much. So the visibility is everywhere. And so that's why there was just so many eyes on the game on Sunday because they're like, what is Clark going to do? And how is LSU and Reese, how would they respond? All right. A lot to follow up on. Uh, I'm going to go back and follow up on the South Carolina game. Uh, and so just so the world knows, I was lower than mediocre as a basketball player, but I, I love basketball. I played it almost until I was 60 years old to France. And this is what I'm leading up to. I never passed up an open shot. I, in my mind, I'm Kobe Bryant. Okay. No, he's not even good. I'm Steph Curry. Okay. In my mind, and if I hit the shot, I will talk about it for like 10 minutes, okay? You can't stop me, blah, blah, blah. It, when you get old, it's so much fun to talk trash because people just roll their eyes at you. So what I do understand <laughs> from my perspective as just a guy who loves shooting, how a guard could pass up such a wide open shot. Now, you got to help me here. I saw that. Caitlin Clark. The South Carolina guard had the ball, right, like on the three-point line. Caitlin Clark actually walked away from her. She moved toward the basket and kind of waved at her like, you're not going to take it. And I, would, if it were me, I'm like, oh, I would have stepped back, okay, and then taken it. And, of course, missed it, but whatever. But the point is, could, could you imagine yourself ever passing up a, open, a shot so open where the defender was so openly disdainful of you. I know Patrick Beverly would never in a million years pass up that shot. So I go mean, ahead we, and explain this. Go ahead. We, we've, we've seen it happen more this season. So Patrick Beverly, but on the men's side, we've seen it happen to Russell, right? It's not, <laughs> and people are dar- daring him to shoot. And so it becomes more of a, a confidence a mental game of, I know that I can make these shots, but why am I so wide open? And if for South Carolina, what should have happened, they should have shot some earlier in the first half. They heaved up quite a few in the second half out of desperation, feeling like they were down. Also probably hearing from the crowd, like shoot it at this point, you're so open. Similar to you, like everyone thinks they're a shooter, even if they're not. Um, but yeah, shout out to, to Iowa for the, their defensive schemes. Um, I think the difference between that game and the first, in the, in the championship game was what LSU saw. So in preparation, they knew they would have to shoot it. LSU had better guards in terms of shot makers. Um, 
Also, Kim Mokey had seen that defense before based upon her years at Baylor. All right, you, you got a lot of bigs. Brittany Griner, you're going to pack the paint, and we're going to dare players like Odyssey Sims and a few other players who were at Baylor. You will have to beat us. And so Moki had that advantage of seeing this type of scheme before. And all you have to do is instill in your players, you can make shots. I've seen you make shots in practice. I've seen you make shots in games. You just have to take them with confidence. And also, you have to take them within the flow of the offense. They can't be just random sporadic threes. They also also can't be desperation heave threes with the shot clock going down. You have to feel comfortable to take those shots, maybe one or two dribbles if that's where your range is, and feel the confidence to knock them down. So I <laughs> I have never been guarded that way. Um, I, I, I have seen some people guarded that way. Um, I have guarded people that way, depending on the scout. And yeah, it's, it's pretty frustrating because you're looking at, I'm a division one basketball player. I know I can make this. And the team is saying, probably not, (laughs) probably not. Have you ever passed a a shot like that? Uh, where you were so wide open. Have you ever passed up any open shot? Yeah, I passed, I passed up a few, maybe out of like, uh, man, I might be 0 for 7. Like if I go 0 for 8, that might be a problem maybe. But um, not not the duration of the game like that was. I feel like South Carolina, again, waited too long to say we have to take them. And, and what I felt like Don sort of told our players, we're winning the offensive glass. So our best shot is a missed shot because we're, we're, we're gathering about 50 to 60% of those shots that we don't make, which are leading to us getting baskets. The fewer shots we take, the fewer opportunities we have to score. Cause we're not going to, we're not going to hit the jump shots, but at least we can grab the offensive rebound. Um, and then again, what I thought I will kind of coming back, I'm always going to give um, high regards to people who play the game very well. Iowa did a lot of good things. For instance, just, Caitlin Clark is comparable to what Steph Curry was. And I think what allowed Caitlin to be able to, to thrive in that game against bigger bodies was the same thing that happened to Steph during his earlier years. I don't have to guard anyone. Therefore, I can conserve, conserve all my energy for offense. So when on the offensive side, what they started doing a lot of was screening away. So it was a lot of face guarding from South Carolina. We're going to screen people so you can't see them, not on ball, just away screens. Now we're bringing her off curls. We're bringing her off down screens. And it's just really hard to switch some of that stuff. So if you watch Golden State Warriors, they set a lot of away screens for for um, Steph. It's not too many traditional ball screens because then the big can just sit there. Or what Caitlin did well and the same thing that Steph does well is off the pick and roll, I'm a very good pocket passer. I'm a very good over-the-top passer. And South Carolina had a difference of we're staying home on the shooters that are on the opposite side. Baylor said, you're going to have to beat us on the rotations. We're fast enough. That was another thing, too. Baylor was fast. I mean, not Baylor. LSU was fast enough. We're fast enough to get out of those rotations, and we'll live and die with that happening. So they said, can other people beat us? And South Carolina took, I feel like, the other route of Caitlin Clark uh, we're going to try everything we can to stop everyone. And when you get 40 and 10 and 12 <laughs> and you account for 80% of your team's offense, hand, hands down to you, you're, 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 you're hooping. All right. Uh, before we get to Caitlin Clark and we'll get there, uh, two things. One, Don, uh, that, uh, to France alluded to, Don Staley, coach of South Carolina. Ball versus away screen. Just quick. Just to help people out a little bit. What's the difference? Go ahead. Yeah, so 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 a ball screen is is typically I'm I'm the ball handler. A big typically comes and set a screen on my player who I'm guarding. Therefore, there it creates a switch, or the guard has to get over the top. And a way screen is now I'm the person who I'm trying to go set the screen for is not is not the ball handler, meaning they're traditionally on the wing or in the corner, and then the post player typically sets uh, a screen towards them. Um, either towards the wing or towards the baseline. So again, there's still a ball handler up here, but it, it just forces, there's more space. Um, there are fewer eyes, right? If, if I'm the ball handler, traditionally everyone on the court in the stand is, is paying attention to the ball. Very rarely do you see the things that are happening away from the ball. Really good basketball players and really good coaches pay more closely to what's happening away from the ball 
than they will, than what's happening actually on the ball. Because there's there's not too many things you can do uh, when you're on the ball, but there's a lot of action that can happen. Away screens, flare screens, down screens. Um, so there's a lot more action. And and Iowa, Iowa did a fantastic job of that of getting getting Caitlin open. Her teammates said Draymond liked screens for her. So yeah. Uh, in other words, so uh, an away screen would free her so that you get her the ball. She's open to take the shot. Uh, that would be the purpose of it. All right, let's talk about Caitlin Clark. Uh, I think that part of the reason why there was such interest uh, in this Final Four is because of Caitlin Clark. Uh, I'm going to state the obvious, and uh, and then you get into the basketball. Caitlin Clark is white. The vast majority of stars in uh, basketball, men's and women, are black. Uh, I'm just stating the obvious, ladies and gentlemen. Don't get mad at me. Uh, <laughs> I've lived through this dynamic uh, twice uh, in my life. The first time was Larry Joe Bird. Oh, uh, Larry. With, yeah. yeah. And because uh, I'm trying to think of like a, like a white superstar. J.J. Reddick yeah. in college. You can't. Yeah. Forget. Okay. I, I would not. J.J. Listen. I wish I could forget JJ. I'm not a fan of Duke. Uh, I cannot stand Duke. Don't get me talking about Grayson Allen. Uh, I will say this. JJ Redick uh, turned into an outstanding um, shooter in the NBA. I'm not taking anything away from him, but he is not on the level, in my humble opinion, of a Larry Bird or a Caitlin. Well, Caitlin Clark hasn't done her professional career, so we have to wait. I guess your point's well taken in that on the college level. Do you think his college career was as good as... Caitlin yeah, Clark's. he was he was on a tour. Yeah, I I absolutely think the what JJ did at Duke was um he goes down as arguably one of the greatest Duke players ever. Um, we were uncertain what his his NBA career would look like, and like you said, I think he beat all expectations for his NBA career. Uh, what I think he truly worked on was keeping his body together, um, understanding his role that he was not going to be an all-around scorer like he was at Duke. Um, and he adjusted to the game perfectly. He became that knockdown shooter coming off down screens, coming off flare screens. He always understood and read the game very well. So, no, I, I definitely think you have to throw J.J. in there. I'm trying to think on the women's side, white players. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> this was like the white hope for them. I'm trying to, yes. think, I'm trying to think of – Huh. No. Nope. I'll put it to you this way. I'm going to put the word transcendent in there. And Larry Bird, because uh, this is before you were born, so that you weren't you weren't around, obviously. But Larry Bird, uh, a shout out to our mutual friend John Reeves, who will be listening to this. He knows, Johnny. You know what I'm about to say. Larry Bird uh, had transcendent ability. He was so much better than everybody else, uh, with the exception of Magic at his time that he elevated, immediately made the Boston Celtics a championship potential team. And they in his second year, they won the championship. He could go out, he could, oh my God, he could tell people, I'm going to go over to the corner, I'm going to shoot the ball, and you're not going to be able to stop me. And then he would do literally what he said he was going to do. That's how much arrogance and confidence he had. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think we're, we're, we're forgetting about the great whites. Let's let's be clear that Don Atrasi and Sue Bird are the greatest white basketball players ever. Like, I think in in the last decade, we, we can never forget what those two did for the game. They are they are better than they are better than Caitlin Clark. There are some people like Stephen A. Smith and a few other folks who are proclaiming that Caitlin Clark will go down as arguably the best women's basketball player ever. I need to nip that in the bud, cut that off immediately. <laughs> never speak her name into existence as a top five, maybe not even a top Ten. There's no way. Well, there, wait there, a minute. There, I mean, if she, I, I can name I can name five people right now. Five. But, but wait, uh, wait, hold, hold. Before we get to you, you can't even put her in the in the conversation for all time great because she hasn't even made it to the pro level yet. She's still a college player. But even so, so, so college based on the numbers that she put up, yes. But no, there's still arguably Sue Bird. First off, Maya Moore. We're talking about Shamika Holesquaw. We're talking about Tamika Ketchens. We're talking about Candace Parker. We're talking about people who won multiple championships during our time. People who didn't lose games. 
Thanatarasi and them went on two undefeated, maybe three undefeated seasons. And the reason why they probably didn't score 40, and this is something I was going to bring up, the game has completely transcended into a three-point game. People are shooting 30 to 40% threes every single game. If Diana Taurasi and them played during this era, you know how many threes she would probably take a game? 20, 20, 20 threes a game. 25 threes a game. Like the, the, the game is a lot faster. The game is more geared towards offense and we're seeing it across every single level. And I know we're going to talk about it later on in the show, but why is the women's game and the men's game looking so similar than it has been ever before is because the players train all with the same trainers. The game is moving away from the basket. So it was maybe like three or four years ago. Like, should we lower the rims? Should we lower the rims so that the ladies can have a game that we enjoy? And like that conversation doesn't even come up anymore because who the hell is shooting layups and dunking? No one. Everyone is shooting step back crossover threes. That's the game. (laughs) And so because that's the game, and everyone is practicing and training for that game, the women's game and the men's game looks very, very, very similar. So it's either you like basketball or you don't because you can't say, oh, I just want to see the people dunk. No, you want people to shoot step back threes. You're right. I'm in fact, right now, uh, I can't lose sight of going back to Caitlin Clark, but right now uh, when you get to the, uh, the NBA all-star game, the most popular event is the three point shooting contest. My opinion, the dunk contest, everybody laughs at, you know, nobody wants to participate in it every year. They go, this is terrible. This NBA dunk. contest." You're right. Everybody's talking about the three point, uh, shooting contest. Uh, all right, back to Caitlin Clark. So, uh, whether or not she's one of the all-time greats, let's just put that aside. Whether or not she'll ever be one of the all-time greats, we'll put that aside. That's a bar room conversation for another time. Uh, there's no doubt that she drew a lot of attention by her prolific score. 40-point games, 30-point games. Uh, you're right. She comes across court. She's ready to drop a three <laughs> if she feels it. The coach gave her the green light. Uh, and... Uh, University of Iowa, they got this cult-like following wherever they go. The people are wearing that black and the gold. So she became uh, a very popular figure, to put it uh, uh, mildly. So all this interest in her. And when uh, Angel Reese did the the move where she put her I, her hand up in front of her face, I can't Yale. see you move. The Tony yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The rapper was the one who invented yeah, it. They gave the credit to the wrestler. We're, we're gonna talk race here, so we we have yeah. to. Understand it didn't come from John Cena. It came from Tony Ayo. So Tony Ayo. Yeah, that's called uh, cultural appropriation, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but uh, okay, so uh, she does the Tony Ayo move, uh, and man, people lost their minds to France. And I feel. And feel free to disagree with me or agree with me or say whatever you want. I feel a lot of white people took it personal. Like they were, their daughter had been offended uh, as opposed to someone when they don't even know. (laughs) 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 And we'll probably never meet. Go ahead. Yeah. It was like Iowa was the Dallas Cowboys. It was America's team. and, And because it was America's team, because we live in white America, it felt like they lost. They needed to protect their their star player who they didn't even know. In addition to like how how do we ensure the validity and the um, just the grace of this game, the preservation? I, I think a lot of white people hold on to. American sports is a very odd thing. Um, and I, I think it's it's a culture created by whiteness. It's a culture upheld by whiteness. And it's a, it's a culture completely governed by whiteness. And so in that moment, what that response was, was we're not going to allow that type of, 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 of play or that type of disrespect for our white savior. And so that's what happened in that moment. But it wasn't, it had nothing to do with them. What, what they didn't see, people didn't even tune into the game, the previous games with Caitlin Clark. Like, that was her thing. Like, if you knew, then you're like, oh, you're just getting it back. 
Um, and but what they saw was just a black woman disrespecting a white woman, and we can't allow that at all. Um, at any moment, whether it be on the court, off the court, there has to be some preservation of respect. There is a hierarchy. Um, there is a, a code of conduct that you have on this sport as a black person, as a black woman, how you move through this world. Um, and we're going to let you know about it. And so the moment that Angel Reese went against that, that code of conduct, that, that proper etiquette that people should have, then it was it was deemed something wrong. Um, and so what I love is that the internet and the internet is a place um, often that we speak of black women is not a safe space. If you read a lot of articles, there's um, a lot of black women online, either in academia, whether in sports, have often had a lot of trolls, um, whether that come from white men, white women, black men, um, every space, it's, it's not a safe place. But what we have seen in the previous, like, two to three years is that black women have showed up for other black women. And in that moment, tons of black women said, oh no, we're not going to allow that to happen. Tons of black men came up and said, oh no, we're not going to allow that to happen. Um, you're not going to say that her play and what she did was offensive when it just happened two days ago from Caitlin Hart Clark. So I, I'm really proud of that. I'm really proud of how people came and support of Angel in support of LSU, but also Caitlin Clark didn't care about it at all. She was like, and, and that's, and that's the part that people, people always do. They come in and they, they try to, to be the savior of people who aren't asking for help. They're, they aren't asking to be saved. She was completely okay with, yeah, that, that happened to me. Rightfully so. It's part of, it's part of the game. Um, it wasn't malicious. I, I I'm sure I would have done it. I can I can guarantee you that I w- I would have done. Wait, it. which part would you have done? The, the I would have hit both of them. I would have definitely hit this one. I definitely would have been like, "Ring me." Oh, um, ring me yeah. <laughs> at, at this point, I'm I'm on cloud nine, and and I and the the odds were not against LSU, so we're technically we're the underdog in this fight. Um, and so you come to the game feeling already disrespected. You weren't supposed to be there. Um, and then you show up and play. And that's the part that we have to give LSU credit. They showed up and played. The one kid scored 21 in the first half, who averaged like seven points a game. Um, Alexis Morris played a hell of a job on both ends of guarding Caitlin Clark and scoring. Um, Angel Reese did what she needed to do. The entire LSU team did a fantastic job. So it's unfortunate that the game has been um, – Minimize to this, localize to this, these two moments between those two players because it was a hell of a basketball game. A lot better than the men's game on Monday. My gosh. Oh, yeah. Uh, the <laughs> men's game on Monday. <laughs> you don't even know who, who was there. You kind of yeah. you kind of had a thing, San Diego State. San yeah. Diego. No, you, I, uh, you forgot. I had a, I blanked. You I blanked did. It. I blanked. Yeah. I totally blanked. Uh, the, 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 San Diego State game on Saturday was a lot better than the San Diego State game on Monday. Uh, and uh, yeah, the UConn was just in total command from the get-go, and there was no compelling narrative drive at all in that one. Uh, I um, I can't remember. Were you a trash talker? I mean, I saw so many of your games. I, I don't remember you talking much. You were quiet, no, as I recall. I'm, I'm, I'm not a trash talker unless I'm provoked. At that point, then it's it's over. Like, if in that moment you want to start beef, then then I'll fillet you. You might as well get filleted for sure. <laughs> you might as well get filleted. But, uh, yeah, m- most of the time I'm like, the game speaks for myself. But, um, yeah, I've, I've, I've had my fair share of trash talking with a few people. Um, it's always been short and sweet. If I get a bucket or my team's winning, uh, Yes, it's it's a part of the game. But I I had some teammates who were who were trash talkers for sure. Is that in high school or college? Oh, high school. Yep, yeah, high school for sure. Okay. A- AT was a good one off a rebound. Give me those. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Ashley off any steal was like cookies. Uh, you just know Mac just from the fire from AAU. Yeah, he's a little bit more like um, it's a show, and yeah. so. But yeah, most most of my game I was. 
I was playing pretty quiet, but yeah, unless provoked. Yeah, uh, we we're not going to discuss the Michelle Clark game. Went beyond uh, trash talking. <laughs> that, was, uh, that, was, that was out of support. That was that was support. That was support. We'll we'll leave that one. That was we'll support. leave that one untalked yeah, we'll about. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, good God, who taught this girl how to throw the one too? I'm yeah. like, Don Reed, you seeing this? Um, <laughs> so uh, we're. Uh, where do you think Caitlin Clark, uh, her career will eventually take her? I mean, uh, I know it's hard to do projections, but uh, offer it up a little bit. She's right now probably the best known college basketball player, I would say. Uh, may I may say men or women. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, which is, you know, first. Yeah, yeah. I, I would. I would say for her, so the thing she added to her game was the same thing that happened to Steph. How can I get stronger? So she talked a lot about it in her, her press conference of she was tired of falling. She was tired of feeling like she was getting bumped around. So she added a lot of strength to her game. I think the next thing she'll have to work on is the same thing that Steph had to work on. Defense, right? How am I not a liability? So the 21 points that were scored in the first half of, by the player who went off, if you go back and you watch film, Caitlin Clark is guarding her. So you have to be able to play on both ends, especially at the next level. At the next level, you're going, you're, she's probably about six feet, 5'11", I think that's what people were saying. You're guarding someone who might be about your same height, who's going to bump you around. Um, can your, your dribble moves get you past people, right? That same kind of quickness. I wouldn't say she's the fastest. She's definitely not slow. Um, can your quickness translate to the next game? I think she's she's shifty. I like to take that back. The same way I don't think Steph Curry is quick, I think he's shifty. So she plays that same type of game. So we'll see if she's either going to be a prolific scorer at the next level or she's just going to be a knockdown shooter. And that's a choice of hers to figure out very early is how can I stay on the court on the defensive end and not become a liability because if I'm not a liability, then there's no reason why I shouldn't be playing because I shoot the ball so well. So I think she'll be fine. Uh, she's a gym rat. She also understands the game very well. She can play the one and the two. So it gives multiple options. She's not, she's six feet. So she can play the one, the two, and maybe a little bit of the three. So there are spots on the floor for it. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see her trajectory. But also we have to keep in mind there have been White players who have been the white hope before. Um, and they they weren't Sabrina Ionescu who played at um, Oregon. Everyone was hailing her to be the next best thing. And it's been a little bit of a struggle and a transition for her. Uh, the same thing with, um, I'm going to botch on names, Kelsey Plum, right? Kelsey Plum was at, um, oh, let me get the, the school name right, Washington at Washington, came out again. It's a great white hope. Everyone thought she was going to be the next best thing, and she got to the league. She had a really good season this past year when the, the Aces won, but it took a few few years to figure out the game was a lot faster, the players are a lot bigger. So that transition will happen to Caitlin as well. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing what she looks like at the next level. But she has one more year in college. So Yeah, she, well, yeah, she does. Yeah, she's only, she's only, she's only a junior. So next season be prepared for lots of lots of doubles. Like we're, we're going to force other players to, to pick you up. Um, I think you come in with a, a different expectation of how people will guard you. You're not, I don't think she was a surprise for anyone. When you're averaging 40, you're not surprising anyone. But to see it at the next level and to everyone see it on TV, they're like, I'm, I'm, it's not going to happen to me. So coming back to the initial start of our conversation, that pride thing is going to kick in. So every single night, you're going to get everyone's best. Yeah. And that's going to be the, the difference. Can you handle everyone's best every single night? Yeah. Do you actually look forward to it? Yeah. Like, she's, a, she's a competitor. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a, yeah. it's a challenge. I don't think she will fold at all. What will happen is she'll have to be dependent on her teammates. So Iowa will have to get better players. I think we saw, we saw in the championship game, it re it revealed to everyone that Iowa was playing about two against five, two against five. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. <laughs> it, it got it got mass it got mass in yeah. Friday's game, 
But on 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 Sunday, we saw like, oh, they only have really two really good players. Yeah, and every everyone else isn't isn't as good. I would never take away. Um, Iowa has tremendous players. They all play Division One basketball. They all play in the Power Five conference, so they are good. But they're not as good. LSU, I think all those kids are like McDonald's All Americans. Um, they transferred from Power Five schools, so they're they're pretty good. Um, so yeah, I'm, but I'm I'm looking forward to to seeing her at the WNBA level. All right, uh, let's talk about Coach uh, Kilmoki, who is the coach of LSU. And uh, so for uh, folks who watched one basketball game in her li- life, she was the lady in the like the tiger pantsuit. Uh, she had quite the look going, uh, and she was wearing power heels, which I thought was utterly insane. And, you know, the NBA, uh, things have changed in the NBA now, coaches, uh, back in the 80s and the 90s everybody all the coaches were like trying to be pat riley and they were looking really slick with the 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 suits and yeah and everybody was uh going through this this looking really slick back hair everything and now since covid uh, coaches casual they were sneakers it's so the whole thing is be casual and cool and healthy i think that's part of it like the ties are too tight for these guys. And so we're just going to wear regular shirts. They dress like me now, which I got to love. Uh, and uh, <laughs> so uh, I was doing it way before it was fashionable. Ladies and gentlemen. Um, yeah, I, I call but, it the Bob. I call it the Bob Huggins. Bob Huggins is really the front runner of being cash and, and cool. I, I said it. I was like, I'm so, I'm so glad that COVID happened. Cause I never understood. Remember I coached at Michigan and I coached at Louisville. I never understood why I had to warm up and and regular clothes. And then I had to go dress into change into dress clothes. It never made sense to me. I said, why don't we just keep on a polo and some pants? Everyone comfortable. I can show kids what to do, how to guard. We're not in business casual. And Bob has been wearing his pullover and pants <laughs> yeah, for, his long, for his pullover and pants and winning games. Yeah. Bob has been at Elite Eights. He's been to Final Fours. He's won big championships. Like Bob was my hero forever because I was like, if Bob is doing it, <laughs> why can't I? <laughs> why can't I do it? And now, COVID, uh, post COVID, everyone's in a nice polo. I think they look crisp and clean. I never want business casual to come back to the sport. I was concerned that it would be a resurgence that everyone would say, let's go back to the normal way. And actually, we've created a new norm, which I, one thing I like so, basketball, I'm here for it. It's ever okay, so, Yeah, so she's got these heels. I'm like to France. You're that is crazy. She's jumping up and down on heels. You're you. Are, do you want to break your ankles? Is that what you want to do, or give yourself like spinal issues? Because that cannot be healthy for the alignment of the body to have yourself perched on these high heels. I'm like, whatever. You're sending that message out. That's your thing. You're. She's a total. She, you got to give her credit in this front. She left Baylor. She went to LSU. She now makes more money in salary than the the men's basketball coach at LSU. I read that over two million dollars, uh, a lot of money for a woman's coach. So I, if you're talking pay equity, we live in a capitalist country, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, except when it comes to development deals, then the capitalists are socialized. But I'm not going to go down that path. Uh, and uh, so we live in a capitalist country. You can make you make what you can get. She's getting it. So I'm not hating on her to France for this. I'm just pointing this out. Uh, I still have issues with her, and I'm going to just express them. Uh, and again, you can disagree. I she was at Baylor with Brittany Griner. I don't think she was supportive of Brittany Griner uh, when Brittany Griner uh, came out. And uh, I don't think she was really supportive of Brittany Griner when Brittany Griner was uh, unjustly held uh, as a prisoner in Russia. People remember that from last year. She was just released not too long ago. Well, maybe a couple of months ago. Uh, and um, so I wasn't loving her. Like everybody was like loving her, you know, oh, the coach. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I do kind of like the tiger stripe thing going on there, but I don't really love her. Uh, so that's my bias, my worldview. I thought she, I really, I've still not forgiven her uh, as a fan now. I've not forgiven her for what I thought was deserting Brittany Griner. Your thoughts. 
Same, same. Uh, for me, it started before Brittany. Uh, Brittany's being held in Russia unjustly. Uh, it too started with a lot of stories revealing homophobia, um, a lot of stories about potential racism. Um, this her, she, she, she grew up in Louisiana, very Christian, um, upholding a lot of Christian values. Also, you're at Baylor, you're at a, a, a highly Christian institution. And so a lot of her don't tell kind of hush policies on queerness were unnerving for me. Compound that with what happened to when her players won a national championship and Trump was in, was, Trump was in office. And it seemed as though uh, this was the, the same time a lot, around a lot of the players were kneeling during the national anthem. Um, really speaking to black athletes feeling like Trump was not in support of them and some of her players voicing that they did not want to go to the White House um, if Trump was there and her completely saying, we don't care who is in the office. Um, politics don't matter. We're all go going to show up. I think in that moment when her team was probably 99% black, she might have one white kid. I think her daughter was the one white kid. I think <laughs> she might have been the only person um, that you don't at least give your players agency to say, if I don't feel comfortable going to a place where I know America, but what this what this place symbolizes does not protect, um, does not care for, does not support people who look like me, then I don't want to show up. And she didn't give her players that opportunity. That's the same year that I think the Golden State Warriors won. They decided not to show up, right? I think a few other, obviously the NFL teams are always going to show up. I mean, they're they're freaking patriotic. Like, they're, they're going to be there regardless. But, um, and some of the players decided not to, right? But she never offered them the agency to. So that, that didn't sit well with me. And then Brittany happened and she was completely, I have no words to say. And to completely disregard your greatest player ever who won you multiple championships, who's someone you should have felt love and care and concern for, for you to say nothing. It completely, um, I felt hurt uh, at a personal level that any player could be treated just like Brittany. And so I was coming out like, hey, recruits, if you think this is the type of coach you want to play for, that white coaches and white institutions are always going to vouch for you and care for you when you're producing, when the product is still there. But on a human level, um, do they really care about you? And I think I want a lot of recruits to start asking a lot of white coaches this question. This is this is this is something I thought people should start doing before 2020, but definitely post-2020, asking coaches, what are your politics? What do you care about besides me putting the ball in the hoop or scoring a touchdown or hitting a home run? What are your values? Um, because if they don't align with or you don't care or in support of me and my family, um, then I don't, I don't think I can play for you because 90% of the time I'm not going to be on the court. We've seen issues that happen outside of the games where coaches have to, they're the first person that people call. If, if, if anything goes down, the coach is the first person that calls. And if you need someone who is able to speak to your identities, um, able to speak to your experiences as a black person, and if they already have biases, they already have um, these preconceived notions of who you are and what you've done, uh, they're, they're, they're never going to be able to, to support you fully in the way that you should feel supported as a black person or a person of color um, at an institution. So, yeah, I don't really mess with Kimoki. I was, oddly, I was rooting for Iowa um, because I was so anti Kimoki, but then also I had to think like the players, right? The black players that are LSU. Um, I was rooting for them from a basketball standpoint. I understood that LSU had more offensive power than South Carolina did. So I, I want to bet, with a friend, uh, 
I rooted, I, I bet on LSU, but deep down, I, I didn't really feel I wanted Kim Mulkey to be able to sit in that glory um, of winning another championship. She now goes down as the third most uh, winningest coach in women's basketball history. It's Gino, Pat, and then Kim has four. Or, yeah, it's Kim four. Four or three. Four or three. I can't, I can't remember. She had uh, yeah, at least two at Baylor. No, it's, a, it's at least two. By far. She yeah. won... She won two at Baylor for sure. One early in 09, 08. It was right when I got to college. Then she won the one with Brittany and this one, at least three. Yeah. I think it's three. Yeah. So, uh, um, I mean, she's a, she's a hell of a coach, but as a person, um, I can't say I, I'm, com- I'm completely on, on her team at all. I'm not, but her part, what, what has come? I, I, I'm curious to know, as Angel Reese has more, and speaking of that interview that she had when she spoke to you, I'm, I'm speaking up for women and girls who look like me, and what looks like what look like me and act like me sounds like is strong black women, and I think Kim is completely okay with that in a basketball room, in a basketball container, a basketball space, but what does that look like when Angel Reese takes that into a more politicized view? How is that? How are they going to clash? Will they clash? Will Kim Mokey be able to take a step back and say, because I still think she runs a program like I'm the figurehead, right? I think she still has that not a warrior type of uh, organization where the, it's, a, it's a players who run this organization. So they still think she has a very old school, I am the head, the figurehead of this organization. So when that starts to shift, and the power balances start to change, will this will the relationship still be in good sitting? And that's what I'm I'm interested to see in the future as Angel Reese goes into the next year. Well, this uh is probably a topic for another time because it's a really deep dive. Uh and so uh, but I'll just uh, power balance in college ball is so much different than uh, the balance of power in NBA or WNBA. Well, just to keep it to the NBA at the moment, uh, because as you pointed out, Warrior, when she said that was Warriors, Golden State Warriors, uh, in the NBA, it's very much a player's league. Uh, the, uh, so much money is invested into each player. Uh, and so a coach, you just cannot afford to antagonize your star players. You just can't. I mean, I've watched just Nate McMillan got bounced at Atlanta this year. Uh, probably because he couldn't deal with Trey Young. And uh, I forget the name of the coach that was Nate McMillan replaced. I could see his face. I just can't remember his name at the moment. He got bounced because he couldn't deal with Trey Young. And so they they praised Nate. The poor other coach, like he was no good all of a sudden, you know. Uh, and <laughs> Nate McMillan, what a great job he's done. And now Nate McMillan's gone. And they brought in um, oh, the guy from Duke. Uh, I could see his Quinn uh, Snyder. Quinn Snyder. And, yeah, and uh, Duke. Uh, anyway, so um, Duke, you guys are overrated, and you know it. Uh, it's, it's yeah. So that dynamic is going to evolve now that players in college get to make money, and now mm-hmm. that there's the transfer transfer uh, portal. Yeah. Yes, we have a transfer portal. The balance of power will shift, and people like Kim um, okay will have to evolve if you will yeah uh, and, and she she she. i mean she did a tremendous job this season they had nine new players from the transfer portal right so she her her ability to recruit and handle i think what she said is holds true she is able to handle high um uncharacteristically uh difficult to manage personalities right um but also that typically happens when things are in good standings, right? They're, they're doing well. It's a question of when there are mishaps, when we're losing, does that, does, does her, her ability to lead and her ability to manage still hold true when things aren't going well? And I think that's indicative of a lot of things when it comes to, to whiteness and, and black players, like, can I control and monitor and, and, use my power to be able to manipulate um, and, and not saying that in a bad way, but be able to control what's happening. The moment I lose a little bit of that, then I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get it back however possible. 
And we've seen that come across in a lot of spaces. And it will be interesting to see as players get get more power in the in in college and more power in the, the WNBA, the NBA it's already happening. Um what happens? I, I think I remember hearing conversations with some of the women's college basketball players back maybe like three, four years ago. Like, we don't know how, how to engage with these recruits. Like, one moment they're here and the next they're gone. Um, and I think they had to restructure how they value relationships. I think this generation of Gen Z is very, what can you do for me? <laughs> it's, it's not what I can do for you. It's what can you do for me? And coaches have to come back to evaluate, well, I've just been controlling this. I'm, I'm the puppeteer here for, for decades. And now I have to this, this relationship that is, is both for both of us. Um, it's, it's push and pull. So I, I think people are starting to adjust. The transfer portal is still up in the air. Like, I mean, I'm seeing kids who are playing like 30 minutes a game beside the transfer. So it's, it's, it's sometimes it's not just about the minutes. Um, people are, are, are doing what the NBA is saying. They're trying to just win. And I can't, can't fault them. Uh, coming back to the Kevin Durant, like, are you mad at Kevin Durant for constantly bouncing around? Are you a traditionalist and saying, like, Damian Lillard, like, stay where you are? Um, or do you want to make the most of your four years or however X amount of years that you have in the league? Are you trying to win as many championships as possible? So, I I, I urge everyone uh, to this point uh, to watch a documentary that I believe is on Prime about a different sport, uh, baseball, and uh, Reggie Jackson, not the basketball player Reggie Jackson, the baseball player Reggie Jackson, who played uh, in the '60s and the '70s, one of the greatest baseball players of that generation, truly. Uh, Michael Jordan-esque in his ability to rise to the occasion, but he played to France in the era. He began his career in the era before free agency, uh, before pl- players were required to stay with the team that originally drafted them or signed them and until that team traded them. Uh, and uh, and he was the first generation, the first generation of baseball players that got to go, uh, got to take advantage of free agency. Uh, this is in the 70s, and the amount of abuse he took for, hey, I thought we lived in a free, going back to my capitalistic free market system, yeah, all of a sudden, this man wants to do the free market, and they want to be like socialistic, isn't that interesting how that works? The amount of abuse he took, I urge everybody to watch it, it's a great documentary, but there's this one scene where the, the, the real pioneer was a baseball player named Kurt Flood. Oh, I could talk about this forever, DeFranz. And they're interviewing Kurt Flood from like early 70s. And uh, the announcer says to him, playing devil's advocate, you know, you make uh, a lot of money playing this game. Uh, you call yourself a slave, but you make a lot of money. And Kurt Flood said, uh, a well-paid slave is still a slave. And I was like, Whoa, that blew my mind. Uh, so, folks, I heard everybody watch Reggie Jackson uh, documentary. All right, we'll close it down. Uh, I got to give to Francis opportunity one more time. Uh, so back in 2019, I want to say it was uh, when she was on the show, Lori Lightfoot had just been elected mayor, and I acknowledged that I had voted for Lori Lightfoot. Uh, maybe it was 2020. Anyway, DeFrance gave me a little bit of grief. Uh you were like uh, clairvoyant. You could see the future about Lori Lightfoot. Uh, and uh, so here we are t- uh, on April 5th. Yeah, is it April 5th? Uh, and Brandon Johnson is the mayor elect. Lori Lightfoot lost in the first round. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, your thoughts on what went wrong with Lori Lightfoot and what you like about Brandon Johnson? Go well, ahead. what went wrong? Everything from the start, Mr. Ben. Um, I am, I am just fortunate her, her administration is, is, is up. It's done. It's gone. The harm. I just think about COVID, how many people we lost. Um, I think about during the riots, what, what those bridges up symbolized during that time. Um, how much divide the city was in during her administration, the lack of care, the, the comedic, the comedic antics 
to cover the work that should have been done. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sad for what we have to go through, but I'm hopeful for what's next with Brandon Johnson um, to just continue to think about someone who cares about mental health, who, ca- who cares about public school, who comes from that same space um, of being a school teacher. Um, I heard him talk maybe about a month and a half ago at a fundraising event. Um, and just his, his ability to galvanize, it will be tough. It will be tough. There, this city is not going to make anything easy on anyone. But I think the difference greatly is the people who have been on the grounds. And that's how I knew in 2019 that that Lori was not right for us because I have a ton of friends who are on the ground, who are doing work every single day to ensure that the city is a better city for every single person in it. Um, that they let me know that, yeah, her policies aren't for us. And those same people worked their asses off to ensure that Brandon had a chance to win this election. And I'm really grateful that they will have the opportunity to have someone that is in support of their values, in support of their goals, in support of everything that we need in the city as we're going through huge transitions. Um, people are getting pushed out left and right. Um, immigrants are not feeling safe. Black people are not feeling safe. Um the housing market is shitty, right? There's just a lot of things that are happening in the city that is that needs to change. Um, and so I'm looking forward to see what Brandon Johnson does. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be a ride, but I need people to. I'm not trying to think from when his 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 term is over uh, of how people will galvanize after. We saw what happened with Trump, right? After Obama, what happened next? Um, I think people have to stay in the now. Continue to do what you've been doing. If you haven't gotten involved, get involved as much as possible. Because I think everyone wants to see a change, um, whether what what community you're in. But we have to start doing the work individually. Um, we have to start putting in like more action. Everyone lives on Twitter and Instagram. Like everyone lives on Twitter and Instagram. But can we we fully come together and support each other um, in many ways? And that looks like showing up. So. I'm a, I'm excited. Last last night was a, a big win. I was with you. I was kept refreshing. I was just trying to read a book. And I was like, oh, I got to try to refresh, refresh. And then we got to 50 to 49. And I was like, oh, this can happen. Again, it actually can happen. I um still disheartening to see how many people voted for Vallis. And we look at all the maps. Um, If he would have won, I think it would have confirmed what everyone who... It's probably not a person of color already knew that white people will always vote in the best interest of themselves, never in the betterment of the people. So to think about how they ran a campaign talking about high level crimes and high rates of crimes in white people's neighborhoods. And you couldn't think about policies that are happening in black and brown neighborhoods where true crime is actually happening. And you're concerned about, well, what's causing crime? It's because these kids don't have shit to do or there's mental health issues going over, or they don't have a place to live, or they don't have food to eat, or their parents working so many hours because they're being underpaid. And if that's not the core value that you go to immediately to think about why is crime happening instead of how can I make myself safer, then yeah, you're always going to vote in alignment with just yourself. Well, I'm going to push back a little bit on what you said. I agreed with 99.9% of what you just said, but I'm going to push back a little bit. White people always uh, vote uh, for it in their best interests of themselves. Say, I would add the, word, I, I would add the oh, word. Some people, yes. No, I would add the word perceived best perceived, interest. Yes, of, perceived best because it's yeah. not in their best, in their best interest at yeah, all. And I could go on and on, but we yeah, run out perceived, of time. Perceived, perceived, <laughs> perceived I think, best I think here in this, I think here in this city, I was thinking locally, liberals in Chicago, but holistically across the country. Yes, you're correct. Per, per, yes, per, see, they think per, it's in their best interest and it's not in their best interest. No, it's, it's, yeah. it's for me, yeah. it's always been how do you think other groups getting opportunities to be better and have better things takes away anything from you? Um, and that's always been a hard thing. Um, I'm, I'm a big believer on, on fairness and equity. Um, it's a lot of, it's a core values that I, I really stand firm on so um yeah it's i'm 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 hopeful i'm excited 
I'm very excited because if Valis would have won, oh, I'm ready, for, <laughs> I'm ready for the cops to retire, then quit. I want them to quit. Like, when are they quitting? When's the walkout? <laughs> when are we getting nah. them their, their, their salary so we can do some real stuff with that? When are they walking out, Mr. <laughs> That's DeFron Smart speaking, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the views and opinions of Ben Jarowski's show's guests do not necessarily reflect those, but we love you, police officers. Don't walk out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> DeFron Smart. Uh, Thank you so much. I took, uh, yeah, about two years of begging and pleading to make your return, uh, but you were busy doing other things. I appreciate that. But I'm not going to let two years go past. I'm just warning you right now. You're so good on the mic. And uh, I just love talking basketball with you. Uh, so we're going to bring you back for Bulls. We'll do some, you'll be our Bulls analyst as they go into the play in. Yeah, that, means, that means I have to watch more games. What's his name? Mirachik? What's his name? Uh, the uh, guy that we gave up. Uh, Miritich, I mean the Miritich. guy, the, yeah, the guy that we traded like three years ago. Is that the one you're talking about? The one who plays in Utah now. Oh, uh, no, 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 uh, Mark Markinen, Laurie Markinen. Did you see the stat? He he's had like the one of the first players ever with like 200 threes and something, something rebounds and blah blah blah. He's killing it. I mean, yeah, was, well, you know, he's in Utah. Okay, where was that in Chicago? Okay, yeah, and the same the thing. He's in the hard West. The Western Conference is harder than the Eastern Conference. I think we, when we talked at Rach's um, comedy show, we yeah. made a very good point. The Bulls don't have a developmental program, and that is key. They have had many players come through their organization who have flourished elsewhere. Yeah. And so they have to look <laughs> inside of their office and say, how can we create a culture where players come here and they get better? Until okay. then, they're going to be here, and then they're going to leave. And then we're going to look stupid every looks, year. Yes, it, it brought to happen with Patrick Williams. But I will say this. I, I, I was the one who said that to you. I remember saying that to you uh, at, the, at the club. Since I said that, I go, I got to tell DeFrancis. I got to tell DeFrancis. Kobe White has been playing. You, you got to check out Kobe White's games. Uh, the shooting guard, sometimes he plays point uh, from North Carolina. He has been playing well over the last 10 games. Uh, and so the, he may be the exception to the rule. That's all I'm going to say. Wasn't uh, he a top 10, top 15 pick, though? Yes, he was. I think he was oh, number six. He so. <laughs> <laughs> was six. Mr. Ben, you're saying that he's just playing how he was expected to he was play. Supposed to, okay. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, you know what? I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, we're gauging six, you know, top, <laughs> five, top six picks and saying, like, <laughs> he's doing well. Yeah, that's a good point. All right. Well, we'll just cut that part of the show out and uh, <laughs> pretend I never said that. Uh, all right, to France. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, get start watching the Bulls, studying up. Get ready for that big play-in game. The yeah, play-in. Play yeah, I'm, I'm I'm ready. I'll make sure I watch a few more games so that I can talk about it. All right, very good. Uh, that's DeFrance Smarts. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. 